Welcome back to Pancreas Pals, a podcast by diabetics for diabetics. I'm Emily, a writer and editor. And I'm Miriam, a licensed mental health counselor. We're just two women trying to live our best diabetic lives. While it might not always be easy due to the literal highs and lows, it always helps to have a pancreas pal to turn to. Hello and welcome to Pancreas Pals. I'm Emily. And I'm Christy. We're just two gals in our 20s trying to live our best type 1 diabetic lives. Every week we tackle a new topic from the diabetic perspective. Although we offer tips, we are not medical professionals, but we also offer plenty of anecdotes and general thoughts about how to embrace the type 1 lifestyle on your own terms. It's not always easy to do through all of the literal highs and lows, but it does help to have a pancreas pal to turn to. Hey guys, welcome to Pancreas Pals. Emily here. And Crystal. And today we have a special guest. Walt Drennan is joining us from Pennsylvania. So we are all across the Eastern Seaboard, and I realized that, so I thought I'd mention that, and now I realize it's stupid. Welcome, Walt. Oh, hi. Yay, we're so excited to have you, and let's just jump right in. Um, you have done amazing things with Bike Beyond and all things biking and Type 1. So if you'd like to, to just start us off, go for it, man. Uh, yeah, so I guess I kind of got into biking about six years ago now, in 2012, when I decided to um, actually pick it up after not doing it for years and bike across the country. Um I was finishing grad school and I wanted to do something cool and fun before I had to grow up. So I found <laughs> this group, this organization that I'd heard about a couple of years ago or before. And um, basically they organize cross-country cycling trips for young adults to raise money for affordable housing. And then along the way you build homes um, as you make your way across uh, West. So that time I rode from Charleston, South Carolina to Santa Cruz, California and to build homes along the way. I was on a team of 31 people, but I was the only type one on the team. So that was really the first time after having type one for 12 years at that point, um, that I really kind of took my type one into account and not only how it like affects me, but affects people around me. Um, and I think it was after that trip, I really kind of got to understand it a lot better and I got to accept it in a way that I hadn't before. And um, I really, I had a, a great time. Um, and no complications due to type one. That's um, amazing. Throughout that whole summer. That's insane. So how did you, okay, let, let me back up a little bit. So when were you diagnosed? What was your diagnosis story, if you will? Because that'll give us a little bit of insight before I ask you my next question. So I was diagnosed when I was 12, uh, back in the year 2000. <laughs> um, it was in the middle of the summer in June. Uh, so my dad actually works for the government. So we were, so since I was five, we'd actually been moving around internationally. Um, I grew up mostly in Central America, but at the time we were, we happened to be in Pittsburgh. That's where my dad's family's from. We were here for the summer before we had to move to Mexico city. Um, and in that kind of two month period that we were here, I happened to be diagnosed with type one. Um, and then, so my diagnosis was pretty kind of, I don't really remember a whole lot of it. It was mostly, I was 12. So my the doctors that I was in contact with were mostly talking to my parents and not really to me. Right. Um, and in addition to that, it was just kind of something that got, a, that got lumped into the whole moving to a different country thing. Um, we had, I had moved it um, around before that. So it was kind of, it was very kind of typical, but also um, easy to kind of just lump in with the whole move. Um, so it wasn't really life changing. It was just a different 
a new part of this new life that I had to kind of make for myself in Mexico City. Um, so it, that kind of with that in mind, I kind of just kept it to myself. I didn't really want to, I didn't want that to be my defining characteristic in this new school with these new people that I needed to make friends with. So I just kept it to myself for the most part. Um, and then kind of went along like that. That's very interesting. I guess I never think about it in terms of like compartmentalizing it as a new chapter. Anyways, if you're moving, it's kind of just a whole new, it's like a new city, new you type of thing. Um, I, I kind of did the same thing when I went to college because I was diagnosed right before my senior year of high school. So, you know, it's it's interesting to introduce yourself as a type one when the only people that have previously known you have seen you through the diagnosis. I don't know. I can, I can connect. <laughs> yeah, I was diagnosed... Uh... I mean, for those who I'm sure go back, listen to season one, episode one, listen to our diagnosis stories. Christy and I have have told our tale. It's basically a tale as old as time now. Um, but yeah, we have very different. I mean, I was halfway through college when I was diagnosed. So weird times, but moving to a different country and being diagnosed where the language is not the same. How was that? Uh, well, it was before that, we were actually living in Guatemala. And oh, casual. <laughs> in, on the Texas border. So, again, it wasn't very... These were all kind of very similar things. They were just different. Um, like I said, I was, I'd was i been moving since I was five every few years um, to Guatemala first and then to the Mexico-Texas border where we lived in Mexico and I went to school in Texas. Um, That's interesting. So, again, it was pretty... It was, it was, Mexico City was just a different city. It was very much within, like, the kind of the cultural scheme that I was familiar with. Um, But it was just a different kind of type of people and different type of school. Um, And again, type one. Um, My parents took took on most of that, my mom, I would say. Um, I just kind of had to do what they told me to. Um, Moms are the best. (laughs) I didn't really pay too much attention to it or didn't really even have to. Um, I was pretty, I think my honeymoon phase lasted per, per for a really long time so it wasn't I don't really remember too many complications um those really kind of took effect when I got to college yeah um, but like five years later and it wasn't even right at college it was in the middle my sophomore or my junior and senior years where I started having some issues um but yeah so moving to Mexico City was just again it was just part of the whole kind of new life that I had to um or new new life that I had to kind of cultivate for myself and type one was just kind of part of it it wasn't the main part it was just an aspect cool so when you learned about when you did this biking across the country what kind of what kind of relationship did you have with your diabetes at the time was it something that you were really hands-on about was it something that you'd been you know since you had had it for quite a few years at that point you know like what was your mindset going into it uh, so going into it, it was, it wasn't, I basically I had kept that same mindset. I kept it to myself. I didn't really talk to anybody about it for those 12 years. Um, in college, I had friends that didn't know I had it for all those tw- four years until I started passing out in front of them. Oh my God. Um, oh, wow. Then, yeah. In, That's like a I wake said, up. Junior, senior year, I went to, I got put in the ambulances a lot. Um, four or five times, I think, just Jeez. in those two years. Um and that was really the only way that people found out about it. And even then, I wouldn't discuss it afterwards. 
passing out from highs or passing out from lows? Lows. Oh, oh goodness. That's yeah. terrifying. Did, wait, so if you didn't tell anyone, did anyone glucagon you or anything like that? No. No. They, they, they would have to call the paramedics and they figured it out eventually. Well, that's pretty, uh, that's a scary situation there, Walt. <laughs> so how do you, how do you handle that now? Is it something that you're more comfortable sharing? Obviously, if it's something that you, you talk, you discuss with people about, but was that a turning point for you and kind of urged you forward to this biking situation? So the bike ride was actually, it kind of forced me into it, I think, um, just because it was obviously something very intense and extreme, um, having to bike for eight to 10 hours a day uh 75 mile days on average um, wow it wasn't really it wasn't even that i was thinking about myself it was more about the team like i didn't want to ruin their experience um so that first bike ride i i kind of made the decision i would um i would tell the team but right at the beginning before the ride started we had an orientation kind of four-day orientation um and i just told them i was very upfront about it um but i think i made a bigger deal than i needed to about it because it ended up being it ended up being something that I thought to find me and I wouldn't and I was very resistant to that so it kind of I think it it made me through so for the first half of the summer I was kind of trying to fight it so trying to ignore lows or trying to not hold people back because um, the way our ride was uh, organized you could ride with anybody or you could buy, ride by yourself um, we didn't all ride 30 of us together we would split up um, so just because it's safer and easier um, but a lot of times I would, uh, hang out in the back and I would, um, the lows I was, it was harder for me to notice them cause I didn't, CGMs weren't as big back then. Um, what and year so was I was very resistant or reluctant to tell people to stop or ask them to stop. So I would often get left behind. Um, so it made, made I made things a lot harder for myself than I needed to. Yeah. Um, uh, but quick eventually question, well, I figured out that what? trying to resist it was the wrong way to go so just trying to accept it and realize that there's things that you can do to avoid those situations so like stopping when you needed to or stopping before you had to and um, kind of going about it that way so it made me realize that it's not it's something it's a part of me but it's not the whole me so realizing that in, in trying to fight it I was defining myself by it more so than I was willing to right what year was this the first bike ride was in 2012. In 2012. Okay, interesting. And were you on an insulin pump or? I was, yes, I was on the Omnipod. I had actually changed to that a few years before because, again, it was it was easier to hide. Um, all the, like, the major type 1 decisions I made in those 12 years before biking were to hide it as much as possible. So I went on pens because they were easier to hide than syringes. I went on uh, the Omnipod, was what I picked, was easier to hide than pens. Um, so it was a, a very big, elaborate scheme to keep that side of my life or part of my life as hidden away as possible. There's definitely uh, a the lot. Bike ride, and yeah. then I realized that it, that wasn't the best way to go. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely safer to discuss, but it's always, you know, no one wants to stick out and stand out in times when, especially when you're growing up, but like, you know, puberty, high school, no one really wants to stand out at that time to that for those reasons. So definitely feel you there even though I was diagnosed in college I I have you know kept kept it earlier on kept the disease from a few people but now I'm such an open book I've accepted it Christy and I chat about it all the time that's why we really feel like pals are great because if you are scared to talk to someone about it or you know anxious or just overall you know 
uncomfortable discussing diabetes, it's great to to have a fellow diabetic pal to turn to because they get it. I think also once you accept it and once you start talking about it a little bit more openly, I know my fear was if I told friends at college and I told people that I was doing any kind of activity with, including, you know, family and close friends, I think the concern is once you open the door and people start having questions, like, are we ever going to get off this subject? You know, once I introduce some of this, like, are you going to question me at every meal? Like, that was always something that kind of went around my head. And I'm sure, you know, getting ready to go on a long-term, like, the cross-country bike ride with someone, you know, you don't want to open the door and make it seem like you're down to talk about this all the time and then, like, just be stuck with that as the conversation forever. PSA, that is almost never the case. People will ask their questions, you'll answer them, and then you kind of move on and you can make it a little bit more on your own terms. I have found, you know, if you have something more to add or tell someone or you need to alert someone that you're low, it it's not always about that. You know, you, the conversation will go on eventually, but that's definitely something that took me a little while to realize. Education is power, people. Okay, so let's uh, let's jump to how you started Bike Beyond. So bike. So after that first ride, I I realized that like I had this great experience despite all those issues that I had. I still had a really great time. I made really great friends through the ride because the the team was actually put randomly. We didn't know each other before it. Um, so I thought it would be a really cool idea to get a whole team of type one to do something similar and raise money for type one diabetes or awareness and just kind of showing the world and themselves like this, this is something that you can live with and actually do really cool things with. Um, so that was like my idea. I started like asking around for help because I knew I wouldn't be able to do something like that on my own. Um, I got a lot of no's. I got a lot of kind of interested parties, but not interested in actually helping just like interested in the idea itself. Um, so I, I, I put it on the back burner for a few years and just kind of planned it and finessed and refined it. And uh, I got a, ended up getting a job and uh, finding a different organization to do another bike ride with um, that I signed up for and did and was able to do uh, better because of what my experience is on the first ride. So I was able to correct things. I was able to find a, a way to ride those like extended miles every day in a way that worked with my type one instead of against it. And um, so I had like all these great notes for having a ride catered to type ones and how best to do it. And then in 2016, in early spring, um, I did like a random Google or Facebook search for like type one groups. Uh, Cause I was kind of, I had this, uh, uh, like a renewed fire to like start to get this trip started. And I found beyond type one and uh, I saw their mission. They sounded like the kind of group that I was looking for, like a, a group that advocates for type one, but doesn't focus on it necessarily. It talks about the people more so than the condition. Right. And, um, I just kind of gave them my idea, told them that I'd done it twice already, and I thought it'd be a really cool idea to get a team of Type 1s to do it too. And uh, they got back to me like a couple days later and they said, yeah, let's talk about it some more. And so eventually that turned into about a year and a half of planning um, that turned into Bike Beyond. That's amazing. Okay, so when for those who aren't as familiar with Bike Beyond, I mean, it's an amazing thing. And we had Elliot Gatt who did it. Uh, last year we had him on the show 
and that was when did we have him on SOS I just pulled it up okay that was season one episode 12 we love Elliot he came to us live from a church halfway it through it was that long ago it was that, that long ago right somehow it was that long it was in June of 2017 so um we should get him back and talk about his his ride and how he felt post ride but he came to us live from a church where his team was crashing uh, in between rides, and he was telling us all about the highs and lows and how bonding, how much of a bonding experience it was. And it's just so amazing to hear him now, you know, like talk about it. And now we get to talk to you and you're, you know, the brain behind it. So congrats on creating such an amazing thing and raising so much money. If you'd like to share how much you raised from that ride last year. Yeah, uh, so Beyond Type 1 was really great at um, kind of collecting sponsorships for us to make the ride easier and give us all the like the supplies that we needed. Awesome. Uh, but part, so an aspect of the ride was that everybody on the team had to raise at least $4,500 to be able to complete the ride, um, which all went to Beyond Type 1 and their kind of their uh, advocacy, education, and um, resource uh, programs. Uh, so the team itself raised over $500,000, and then in addition to all the, the in-kind donations, like the actual things that we got donated to us for the rides, so like camping gear, bikes, um, uniforms, and things like that, it ended up being around $750,000. That's amazing. That is, that is amazing. incredible. And for those of you not familiar with Beyond Type 1, I, and I'm sure Walt would urge you to go check out their community it's beyondtype1.org, and they do amazing things like educate people with type 1, educate those who don't have type 1, but discuss the warning signs, signs of DKA, um, you know, Jerry the Bear, so many amazing things like warning about workplace discrimination and also, you know, the amazing things people in the community are doing. And they also have really cool people repping them like Nick Jonas. Yeah, you heard me, Nick Jonas. Anyways. Um, so definitely go, go there, check it out. Um, and while we're so proud of you for, uh, that sounds weird to tell someone you're proud of them, but anyways, <laughs> we appreciate the work that you're doing for this. And can you tell us about any planning that's going on for this year's? Uh, so this year there's not going to be another bike beyond, at least not in the foreseeable future, just because it was, it was a pretty big undertaking for yeah. one. It's actually just a team of six people. um and they and they're before that they were actually just used to holding events like that took a month to plan and execute this actually took almost a year and a half yeah um and that didn't even include the ride itself that just included the planning um so this time so now they're focusing more on uh beyond type uh beyond type run so that's their marathon running team that's a great Uh, name yeah so now so they actually last year they had a team that uh participated in the New York Marathon. Yep, we um, we had and, some really uh, cool people that have been on the show that uh, that ran that participated in that marathon. Um, I'll plug to that in a minute. Sorry, continue. <laughs> so this year they're doing the same thing. They have another team going to New York, um, and so but that's going to be a more regular program. So they're going to try and do that every year. They're going to try to switch up the major marathon that they do, but they're they're going to go to New York again this year. And um, if any of you are into running, I check that out. I believe they're still taking people for this year's team. Um, but that's kind of the big adventure kind of activity. They're also uh, co-sponsoring Slipstream uh, weekends with Connected Emotion. Um, that's uh, 
a nonprofit that is based out of Toronto, Canada. They hold basically they hold adventure weekends for Beyond Type Ones, the eighteen and up crowd. Um, so it's basically like camp for adult Type Ones. Um, they I was actually lucky to go to uh, their slipstream in Catalina last summer, um, Catalina Island, California, in Southern California, and uh, it's it's probably the closest thing to Bike Beyond that I had ever done after that. Uh, so it's basically just. I think that time there was about a hundred type ones just kind of hanging out on Catalina Island. So we had, we got to go paddle boarding and snorkeling. That's and so cool. Oh my God. But, yeah. Go. But also they had like information sessions. So everybody that was there was type one, but they also had like really interesting backgrounds and jobs. A lot of them were, uh, diabetes educators and, uh, people that worked in at tandem, for example. So mm-hmm. like a lot of people that had like very cool and unique experiences with type one. And then like we would share like tips and tricks like on traveling and I learned a lot in those three days like almost as much as I learned in the entire summer living with 20 type ones at the same time um but yeah so connected emotion slipstreams I would definitely there's three of them in the U.S. now so I'd highly check uh highly suggest to check those out um and beyond type one is helping them put those together amazing we'll definitely link to that um on our website which is pancreaspals.com um, can I ask a question go for can it I just, Christy. Like, jump in here? Yes. How much juice do you keep on you for all of these various activities? Because <laughs> I'm hearing about all of this awesome stuff you're partaking in, and all I'm thinking about is, like, what bag would I be taking, and how many juice boxes am I stuffing in? Or do you guys, do you just constantly reload along the way, or do you head out with just, like, a massive supply of juice and low snacks so that's actually what I kind of learned from my first two rides. So the first ride, they only had one stop throughout the day, which was lunch in the middle of the day. And when you're talking about like 60, 70 mile days, it's a long time in between stopping periods. And so what I was doing was just kind of like trying to barrel through it and not have to eat, um, which obviously didn't work. The second ride that I did actually split up the days within like 20 to 30 mile chunks so every 20 to 30 miles we would stop and have like a snack break or a water break and this and again i was the only type one on that team too um but it was just a lot more fun because you interacted with the with the entire team um more throughout the day and then you just had breaks and those breaks i used for like checking my sugar checking my pod making sure it had everything i needed and just making sure i was where i needed to be to keep on going those next 20 miles or so so that's what i modeled bike beyond off of so during our days we so we had two vans that rode with us we would cycle through everybody would drive the vans every so often so we would cycle through and then the people would then there would be a water van that would kind of go ahead 20 30 miles and stop and then have snacks for us and water and that's where we would stop and then we would do that all day until we got to where we were going we'd have lunch in the middle of the day and maybe about four or five water snack stops um and then everybody was required to have a camelback on. So they would have the you know water that you could carry as well as your type one supplies and food. Um, so you never really had to carry too much, just enough to get you to the next 20 miles. Um, and again, everybody was carrying you know their own stuff. So you would always have backups if anybody and everybody's always willing to share. Um, a so travel we always, van so, makes a lot so more sense than of, a giant backpacks. Everybody, yeah, so everybody, again, everybody had type one. so. Even if you didn't have uh, low snacks at that moment, I ran into that a lot. It's like I would just like say I'm low, and then five people would hand me like we had a honey <laughs> was a sponsor. They, oh, they would give me snacks, and so it was literally it was probably the best place you could be 
if you were a type one, because like everybody had their own stuff, which you could then use. And they were, they're of course willing to share. That's so awesome. Do they keep any medical professionals around or just out of curiosity? That was actually, that was actually a question I got a lot, even like in the planning phases, like, do you plan on having a doctor or a nurse? And it's like, I was adamantly against it because like, you don't have to, like, people don't have those things. Like people that have, you know, functioning pancreases don't have those things. Why should we? Um, and because you can't like regular people just can't walk around with a nurse. Like you can't have a doctor on you 24 seven. So I thought it wouldn't be very, it wouldn't, it wouldn't like really show what we could do if you had that. And plus what kind of doctor or nurse would volunteer their summer just to kind of hang out. Um, and really they, I don't see them doing any more than we would. Like we were all required to have glucagon kits on us at all times. And we all knew how to mix them and like administer them. So it was, and plus we were, everybody had type one. So we all knew exactly what to do when, and it was probably, again, it was the best place, like place to be in a scenario like that. If you were to go dangerously low or not have the things that you needed because somebody would have like a backup for you. So no medical professionals. We did have one writer that happened to be a nurse, but it was just coincidence. It wasn't required. That's happy coincidence. But yeah, I do find that, um, a lot of impassioned type ones end up either being like diabetes educators or things like that, at least in, in some of the cool people we've met along the way. Um, but yeah, is there anything else you wanted to, to discuss Walt? Cause we're excited to have you and this was very informative and can't wait to uh, hear the next adventurous thing you do. <laughs> yeah. Um, the only thing I've got going on is, so the, the bike beyond summer was actually, made into a documentary by uh, Neil Greathouse. He was the director and one of the cameramen. Um, he, he's the, the BDs on Instagram. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm having a screening here in Pittsburgh on May 5th. If anybody wants to come out, it's going to be at the REI on the South side. Um, it's a free event with food and uh, kind of drinks and low snacks if you need them. And then <laughs> the movie uh, and like a, a Q&A. Um, it's the day before the Pittsburgh Marathon. Um, so it's a cool kind of easy Saturday night before you have to run 26 miles if you're doing that. Amazing. Um, is there anywhere for people to view it if they can't get to Pittsburgh? Is it online anywhere? There, so there's going to be a lot. Of, so the team itself is uh, kind of gearing up to start screening in their local areas. So I would highly suggest keeping an eye on the Beyond Type 1 website, uh, beyondtype1.org. And then they're also working on getting it to the the major public kind of through a streaming platform of some sort. They're not sure exactly when, but I think that's kind of being scheduled for early this summer. So around June, July. So that's in the works. Amazing. So definitely. Basically just keep an eye on Beyond Type 1 and they'll definitely be advertising that. Amazing. So head on over to our website and we'll link to all of these cool things for you. So it's just one click away. Um, Anything you wanted to add, Christy? No, I think just that I am absolutely amazed and inspired you know the amount the amount of planning that I put into like my one hour sessions on the elliptical suddenly (laughs) just does not seem all that complex anymore you know Um, so good to always keep that in perspective yeah and good luck and keep a surprise because we love being able to share anything like this you know I I think a lesson I would have loved to have heard when I was younger is you know type one doesn't mean you can't do it and I think this is just such a prime example of that so Happy to share any news about it. 
Yes. Okay. So thanks everyone for listening. Um, follow us on Instagram at pancreas underscore pals on Facebook at pancreas pals PP head to our website, pancreaspals.com to get links to all the cool things that we just talked about. And thank you so much, Walt, for taking the time on your Sunday to talk with us. And we hope everyone has an amazing week and check back next week for a very cool, very special episode that we're very pumped about, pun intended. Have a great week, everyone. Bye. Bye.